G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway Podcast, the podcast that's all about intermittent fasting. I'm your host, Graham Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilograms or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and successfully maintained that weight loss. I'm also the author of the Amazon category best-selling book, The Fasting Highway, which will give you a great insight into what it's actually like to live it day to day, how to get started, what it's about, what are some of the health benefits that come from it, and how to turn it into a successful long-term lifestyle. In this series of podcasts, you'll be hearing from people from all over the world, from the beginners to the experienced and those that are on the journey. You'll also be hearing from some leaders in the intermittent fasting community, and you'll also be hearing from some past guests as we recheck in to see how they've been going. And thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway. Enjoy the show. G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast, and this is episode 152. And just before we get started today, as usual, I've got a couple of quick thank yous to make. Firstly, to you, the listener, thank you for tuning in each week. I very much appreciate it. Thank you for all your support in 2022. Uh, we just saw the Spotify results uh, come out for the wrap this year, and the Fasting Highway podcast is in the top 5% of podcasts shared globally. So thank you so much for that. Also, folks, uh, to the people that are joining the Fasting Highway Facebook group, thank you. If you are looking to get started with intermittent fasting or you need some support, uh, look no further than joining the Fasting Highway Facebook community. You'll get plenty of both there. Also, if you're looking to get something from my own story, you'll find that in my book, The Fasting Highway, on Amazon. I guess it's a pretty relatable read about somebody that's just a normal run-of-the-mill guy that took his health back through intermittent fasting and how I did it step-by-step and how I managed to keep the weight off now for some three and a half years. You also get a bit of a guide what to do when things don't go quite to plan and a step-by-step inlook into how I actually did it. Okay, folks, let's get to today's exciting guest and I'm going to be speaking with Rachel Awad. And Rachel lives in Cairo, Egypt and is an expat from the United States. And in today's episode, we recap Rachel's journey and what has transpired over the last two years since she was last on the podcast in episode six. And we delve into alternate day fasting and one meal a day lifestyle, as Rachel has done both of those over the last two years, and she offers up some insights into what both protocols hold the pros and cons. And Rachel is an experience with intermittent fasting and has served as a moderator in popular online fasting communities. And Rachel has had some ups and downs on her own fasting journey over the past two years, which she shares candidly in this episode. Anyway, here she is to tell her story and then catch up with her, Rachel Awad. Oh, g'day, Rachel, and welcome back to the Fasting Highway, and lovely to have you here. Thanks, Graham. It's really lovely to be here. It's been quite a while, Rachel. You were last on, uh, as we know, in uh, episode six, sometime back, September 2020, I believe, and Lots happened, obviously, since then. And so what we might do, if folks want to go back and listen to Rachel's original episode, and then we might just do a brief recap on your sort of history with IF and that sort of thing and where you got to up to that episode. And then we'll go from there and we'll talk about what's happened since 2020 and how your journey's unfolded since then. And please take your time. Thanks, Graham. Um, So it's I feel like... I have to kind of think about where the, where my history started with this. Um, so it was sometime, I think, around 2014, um, after, you know, a lifelong, you know, bouncing back and forth between different plans, like so many of us did, many years on Weight Watchers, 
that somebody introduced me to the concept of 5-2 and uh, Michael Mosley's book, which was, I think, one of the first, well, certainly the first IF book that I encountered. Uh, so I started doing that. Um, and it was two days of 500 calories. I mean, it was a, a uh, but um, there was no concept of a window. So I literally would have, you know, zero calorie Diet Cokes all day long um, and, you know, be munching on, you know, very low to zero calorie veggies, you know, cucumber and, and celery all day long. And then, you know, sort of have uh, my meal. It worked. It worked great for a while and I lost some weight, but eventually it sort of stopped working. And I think it was the typical I wasn't actually fasting. I mean, I was eating all day. And eventually my metabolism sort of slowed down to, to compensate. So in 2000, oh God, I want to say 16, um, I somebody made reference to uh, Jin's first book, the uh, Delay Don't Deny. And that was a total game changer. And I started doing clean fasting and I was doing, I think I kind of settled into maybe 24 for a while. Um, and after a few years of that, I got the courage to try alternate day fasting, which we talked a lot about, as you mentioned in, in my last episode. It was a total game changer for me in terms of, um, you know, sort of, I was always a very slow loser. I continued to lose slowly, but much more steadily. Um, but for me, it was the um, impact on my uh, blood sugar numbers and diabetes and my A1C that really, um, sort of kicked it off for me. So, I mean, really sort of sealed the deal for ADF for me. So I did that for a while, would sometimes take a break and go back to doing OMAD, but generally was doing, you know, uh, literally every other day fasts for, for a couple of years. Um, and I think I was probably still doing that or had just sort of taken a break from it when you and I last spoke, which was in the, you know, first year of COVID. Um, and then when COVID hit and affected so many of us in terms of lifestyle, everything kind of turned around for me. So, so that's essentially where I'm starting from this time. Oh, that's fantastic. So you obviously have done a lot of these different protocols since 2020. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But one thing I wanted to pick up on there, you mentioned when you started with the Michael Mosley program, that you were sort of doing what's called dirty fasting while drinking the Cokes and all that sort of thing. And then once you discovered Jen's book, Delay Don't Deny, the, the light bulb sort of went on and you moved into that clean fast. And just for people out there listening, because it's a question I get a lot, is why can't I dirty fast? Why can't I drink Cokes? Why can't I have gum? Why can't I have any of these Absolutely. different crutches that people look for? And I just want to ex you to explain as a person who's done both, what is the difference and just your interpretation and our interpretation of the clean fast, please? Sure. So there are a couple of things. I mean, one is, um, and I'm not a scientist, but I've read enough to know that it's not necessarily about calories, but it's about things that you ingest that will trigger an insulin response. So, you know, even all those diet soft drinks that, um, you know, have uh, asperitine or whatever the sweeteners are of the day, um, those will, in many people, uh, generate an insulin response even if they have no calories. And so that, and that's the, that negates the purpose of fasting, which is to sort of, you know, keep your insulin uh, levels low during the fasting period. Um, the other thing is that the sweetness of many of those things will trigger because of this 
further hunger. And so it makes it much harder. I mean, you have that Diet Coke and yes, it's zero calories, but now you kind of want something else to eat. And, you know, all of a sudden you're kind of white knuckling it until you can actually eat. And on those days you could only eat 500 calories. So it wasn't really, um, you know, that much uh, to feast about. So it, it sort of worked against itself in a way. And I think the importance of clean fasting is really, um, you know, keeping, obviously we know the definition, keeping anything that isn't water, black coffee, black or green tea um, out of your system, but making sure not to, you know, sort of confuse your system with ingesting anything sweet that then triggers that I want something more and it makes it harder. And when you don't do that, when you, when you embrace the clean fast, fasting becomes much much easier and it's just not it's not something that you're sort of watching the clock for most days oh, i agree totally and um for me it comes down to you're either fasting or you're not i mean it's as simple as that i mean you know if you're doing something that's spiking your insulin and it's just convincing you something like diet cokes etc that food is coming you're going to make it more difficult for yourself to get through that fasting period it's going to become hard we often hear the term white knuckling, people sitting there looking at the clock, waiting for their window to open. And we talk to so many people on this podcast, I would say dozens now in the 150 episode that have made that transition from dirty fasting to clean fasting and made it so much better. In fact, I spoke to a guy, he lost over 100 pounds that was a dirty faster, right? And he said that he really struggled through the fast, even though he lost 100 pounds by doing the dirty fasting. Right. But when he discovered the clean fasting, he said it was light and day. He said how much easier it was for him, even though he was successful with the dirty fasting. And, and people probably will lose a bit of weight, but you're not going to get all the full benefits, I feel, from it. So thanks for that explanation. But something I just wanted to pick up there, Rachel, you mentioned that you're a slow loser or some people in the IF community call themselves turtles, which is something I feel really sad about because and the minute fasting is a lifestyle, and I know it must be sort of the mindset must be challenging around seeing other people lose faster. But the thing is, if intermittent fasting is a lifestyle, and it doesn't really matter whether it takes two, five, seven years to get the weight off, if that's what you want to do for the next how many years of your life. So I say to people out there, if you think you're a slow loser, don't worry about it. And just keep doing what you're doing, and ultimately you'll get to where you want to be. So just give some people some encouragement around that, Rachel. Sure. Um, so I think for me, one of the things that really um, I, I didn't ever experience before intermittent fasting was the idea of body recomposition, that when I lost weight before on sort of more traditional calorie restricting programs, um, you know, you sort of lose weight, you typically lose muscle, your body doesn't change that much, it just sort of gets to be a smaller version of itself. Whereas with intermittent fasting, body composite recomposition is incredibly real where you're, you know, you, you cannot be losing weight and still see that your body is getting smaller, muscles are getting firmer. Um, and, uh, you know, I do very little exercise other than walking. I don't do any resistance. Um, and yet I've definitely gained muscle that there's no question about that. Um, and so I think, um, I've come to see the scale as one marker of success, but not the marker of success. And for me, much more important is how I'm feeling, how my clothes are fitting, um, you know, sort of how my skin looks. I mean, all you know, all 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 different kinds of things that are markers of of improved health. Um, and in fact, I think it's probably been until very recently I hadn't been on the scale for 
anywhere from six months to a year maybe um and uh and was really just aware of the fact that clothes were fitting differently um I recently got on the scale and uh you know sort of was down from from where I had been last time but expected it to be much lower given the size I'm wearing and the last time I wore these sizes etc um and so I really I think the best advice is, you know, the scale is one indicator of success, but it's not the indicator. And so focus on other things. And, you know, if you're doing IF and you're not experiencing any um, successes, you don't have any what we call non-scale victories, then it's time to maybe look at your protocol and see, do you need to make a change? But to me, the scale itself is not the reason to make a change if other things are, are happening in a positive way. You touched on those non-scale victories and the health benefits. So let's just talk about what's been happening there for the last maybe two years, maybe recap any struggles you've had and just what's happened over the last two years, and that'd be great. Sure, Graham. Um, so the last time we spoke, uh, as you mentioned, it was in September 2020, or maybe we spoke, that's when the, the episode aired, we probably spoke maybe in August. But um, it was still, you know, in the first six months or so of, uh, of COVID, and I think like many people, COVID became um, an excuse for me to sort of get very loose with my fasting ways. Um, so I, for a couple of years, I think really lost some focus in, I was still fasting, but I was doing much, much shorter fasts and much, much longer windows. Um, so, you know, I might, I might have done a, you know, a 16 hour fast and a 10 hour window and been fine with that. Um, I was grazing all day long. I wasn't focused on satiety signals at all. I was just sort of eating until it was uh, like, oh, look, I might maybe I should close my window. It's been hours. Um, and inevitably gained weight. And I gained about 20 to 30 pounds. Definitely didn't feel as good, um, but didn't let go of the fasting. I mean, I didn't, which which I'm very pleased about. And then I think it was maybe last summer before I traveled um to the U.S., I, uh, if people don't know, I live in Egypt. My family is I mean, originally from the U.S., so I try and go back in the summers, and I was going back last July, and um, I sort of decided to give myself a little bit of uh, structure, but also give myself some grace. So it wasn't going to be the free-for-all that I had been on. I was going to commit to a minimum of 16 hours, um, and I was going to eat to satiety. That was the, the one of the things I had really lost sight of during COVID. Um, and so, you know, I would start with a snack, probably move to a meal. When that happened was really varied because I was visiting family and friends and we had things going on. Um, but, you know, it might have been a two hour window. It might have been an eight hour window. But I was very conscious of not grazing all day and closing when those satiety signals sort of kicked in and we can talk about that at some point also, because I think that's to me, one of the greatest things about really committing to IF. Um, and so I didn't get on a scale while I was there, uh, while I was traveling and I came home and still didn't get on the scale. But, but usually when I come home from these visits, cause I want to eat all the foods that I miss, clothes are always feeling a little bit tighter. And I realized when I came back that my clothes were fitting better than they had when I left. So something was sort of working. And I decided, okay, I'll keep going with this um, and, uh, you know, and be in the, what I call, you know, give myself grace. I'm not doing 24 or 19.5 or 23.1 or ADF. I'm doing a minimum of 16.8, but often more. 
and and you know sort of keep going with that um and I continue when I came back uh, after uh, being away for a while and it continues until now a day doesn't go by where someone doesn't come up to me and say oh my god you've lost so much weight even though now I see I haven't lost that much from the weight that I gained I, I maybe lost about half of it but I'm not I'm not where I was and so uh I think Part of the grace I gave myself was not getting on the scale, was focusing on how I felt and on satiety and on um, things other than, you know, is the scale going down, how close fit, certainly. Um, but through all this, I wasn't being healthy. Um, I was really, I mean, as as I'm sure I mentioned, I, I have uh, I've been type 2 diabetic diagnosed many years ago. Um, high blood pressure, and I was not eating foods that were serving my health at all. So I was eating to satiety. I was feeling the the benefits and how my clothes fit and how I looked, but I wasn't progressing my health at all. Um, and uh, I think really, so there's been sort of this flickering, gnawing light saying, you know, it's, you need to sort of refocus on your health. And then a few weeks ago, that sort of exploded into a bright flashing light bulb. And I, um, so I, I, in the last couple of weeks, started seeing a new doctor, someone who I knew personally, but who wasn't my physician, who is now my physician, who's really supportive of IF, even though he, I mean, he doesn't, he's aware of it and he's fine with it. I'm back on a whole new set of medications, which I had sort of abandoned. Um, and so while I still am telling myself, I'm going to fast for a minimum of 16 hours and I'm not going to force myself into a schedule. The reality is that right that for the past couple of weeks, I've been doing, you know, an average of 19 to 20 hours and it's been effortless. I mean, it's because I'm uh, I'm not forcing it and I'm not watching the clock. I'm just sort of waiting until either the opportunity is there to eat or the, you know, sort of hunger starts to really get stronger. And I close my window, you know, again, it could be anywhere from two hours to five hours. And I close when I'm clearly, you know, sort of, the signals are there that I'm full and it's time to stop. Um, I think that's fantastic. And we'll talk about that satiated moment and how that's really important with IF in a second. But I mean, you're a person that's both done ADF fairly extensively. You've also moved into OMAD now. So let's just talk about the differences between that, the differences that you've found, how each one sort of works, the pros and cons of each one for you, and how you're sort of unfolding with that, and are you sort of mix and matching the two, or you intend to do one going forward? Um, it's a really interesting question because I actually have in my notes that I was thinking about before we we uh, got on this call that I will likely go back to ADF at some point soon. Um, and so when I started uh, alternate day fasting last time, I had read a lot about it. And I was sort of in chats with a few of the members of some of the previous Facebook groups that you and I were in. Um, and people were really sort of encouraging about it. And I was like, I think I want to do this. I knew for diabetes, it was something that, you know, Fung talked about a lot in the diabetes code. Um, but I was terrified. I was like, yeah, I can't do that. And so I had this mental block and resisted probably for a solid year after I started thinking about it before I finally did it. Um, and for ADF, two of the best pieces of advice that I got was that, um, you know, when you get to your regular uh, feasting hour, so if I had been doing 18, you know, when I hit that 18 hour mark, 
and at about 24 hours, there'll be a wave of hunger and that hunger will pass. And after that, it's fine. And that was absolutely true. So once I sort of, I, I just sort of said, I've got to just jump in and, you know, sort of try it. With that advice in mind, I was really prepared at both of those times to distract myself from the waves of hunger, which absolutely did pass. Um, and, you know, woke up the next morning, probably at about 36 hours, feeling absolutely fine and not ravenous um, at all. And so, so very easily slipped into the every other day, you know, fast or eat um, sort of cycle. Um, and as I mentioned, it, you know, experienced some great health benefits from that. Um, I think one of the hardest things about ADF is the feast day rather than the fast day. Um, you know, sort of the the general health guidelines that I follow. Anyway, so so on the feast day, the idea is to keep your window open long enough to have, you know, ideally the equivalent of two meals um, and really, you know, sort of to not so that your body knows that, that you're not starving it. Um, that's probably the you know, simplest way of saying it. But um, it's very easy, particularly for any of us who used to be in patterns of binge eating, not binge eating as a disorder, but who used to sort of graze all day long to sort of graze yourself through the feast day. And that that's, it's much easier and healthier to say, okay, I'm gonna open with you know a, a meal or a sort of light snack and then wait some time and then have another meal and you know sort of um, keep it open long enough to be ready for that second meal without kind of eating nonstop throughout the day. Um, so that's, uh, that was, that was a big part of the transition to ADF for me was sort of saying the feast day is not a free for all. Um, so, you know, ADF is a, is a mental challenge. I think for most people more than a physical challenge. Um, and I think you and I spoke last time about that it's not for everyone. I mean, you mentioned you've never done it and you have no need to do it. Um, so I think it's, you know, we, we need to recognize it as a, a version of fasting that is appropriate for some people at some point in their journey, but not for all people and not necessarily all the time. Um, and so, um, so I think, you know, if you're, if you've been literally on a stall for months where in addition to the scale not moving, you're having no other non-scale victories, that might be a time to consider it. Or if you're highly insulin resistant, particularly type two diabetic, um, it's, you know, it's something that's often recommended to, to help um, stabilize those uh, numbers and markers. Um, so, you know, there are, there are times and people for whom it's appropriate, and, but it's not something that everyone should be working toward. I, I don't, I wasn't aware of those signals before I started fasting. I was one of those people who the concept of fullness meant nothing to me. The food was in front of me, I was eating it. And, uh, and, you know, I would often eat until I felt sick because there was food there. And, you know, I just sort of ignored it completely. And so ADF has put me in touch with that. And I think that's, that satiety is, I think, your best friend, whether you're doing OMAD, TMAD, or ADF. 100% agree. Couldn't agree more. Uh, let's just talk about, you know, appetite correction, which we've talked on, talked about a couple of times here, mentioned, you know, that satiated sort of feeling. And for me, I think when you get to that point of it's almost deafening, isn't it? Like you, you talked about it a couple of times. For me, I'm eating in that OMAD in my window and I get to that point where I just go, wow, it's almost like a big sigh and you go, wow, I'm done, I'm, I'm good. And you know that's when you can stop. 
And I know people have a difficulty sometimes in their window knowing when to stop. And one of the biggest challenges I try to get across to people when I'm mentoring them or whatever it may be, okay, your window is one hours, two hours, four hours, eight hours, 36 hours, whatever it may be. You've got to get to that point of switching off when you're full and satisfied. You're done. It doesn't matter if you've got another two hours to go in your window or another three hours. If you're done, you're done. So I guess when we get to that point, it's so important to look for that, isn't it? And that's a real learning curve for people when you first start. We are learning casting. So let's just talk about that. How do you feel about appetite correction and when people know they're going to get there? So I think, you know, I there was a book, I, I think it was Bert Herring um, wrote the yeah. book on appetite correction. That was a real um, light bulb moment for me, just sort of, you know, him describing what that process is. So I would definitely recommend that. I have a friend who recently started fasting and, you know, she's completely focused. She doesn't need to lose a lot of weight. She has some health issues she wants to address. So she's focused on the eight hour window only. And when she asked me recently, we were together and she said, you know, sort of what what's your eating window? I said, it, I, I don't have an eating window. I eat, you know, sort of when I, whenever I'm ready, anytime after a 16 hour fast and I stop when I'm done. And we were actually out for a big brunch together that day. And uh, and it was a lovely Egyptian brunch, actually, by the pyramids, which you and I were speaking about earlier. Um, and uh, and it was, you know, we we sat there for about two hours, really sort of nice, healthy foods, um, fresh juices. And um, and when I was done, I was like, that's it. I'm not eating again till tomorrow. And she looked at me. She was like, but we've only been here for two hours. I was like, but I'm full. And, you know, it was probably around two in the afternoon when we finished. And I said, I, I know I'm going to, you know, I, I have no need to eat again today. And she was like, but don't you just focus on the eight hours? And I was like, no, I really focus on how I'm feeling. To me, what I count is the minimum fasting hours. Um, but I, and you know, and there are some days where my window might be open for eight hours because I've eaten something late and I didn't have a chance to have a meal until many hours later. And that's fine too. But I think it's exactly recognizing that when it's time to stop, you kind of, you get to a point where you know it intuitively that it's time to stop and close your window. And that's, um, I, I think uh, you were hinting on this, Graham, that that's not an, in, I mean, that's something we don't do automatically. We have to kind of learn to to recognize that feeling. Um, and it's, uh, it's, to me, one of the greatest benefits of IF, but it's, you know, it doesn't happen the first day or the first week. Um, I think we really have to sort of Think about what that would feel like, you know, read up about it, listen to other people talk about it, and then kind of tune into our bodies to 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 recognize it. Rachel, the other thing I wanted to just touch on, switching back a bit in the conversation, is you mentioned medications there, right? And you said you're on a couple of medications now. And it's an important question because people often ask me, hey, I take medications for this or diabetes or whatever it may be, or the doctor says I have to have it with food. How do people navigate medications in an intermittent fasting lifestyle is the question. That's a great question, Graham. So um, I have been really fortunate sort of um, that I've had a couple of doctors who were understanding um, enough about fasting that they didn't, not only did they not challenge it, I think, you know, we've heard of many people whose doctors don't support it and, and that's a, it's a whole other problem. But when prescribing the medicines sort of were saying, okay, we're going to give you doses that you can take just once a day. Um, so for me, that's been really great. But for people who have to take medicine with food and, you know, sometimes you need it for it to be absorbed properly or to not get sick. 
Um, there are two things that that I've heard a lot and I think make sense. One is um, maybe keep your window open long enough to open you know, with something in the medicine and close it with something with the medicine, but not graze all day long. So if you need to take medicine, say, you know, eight or even 10 hours apart, fast in between. It's not, you're not fasting. You're still in an open window, but you're not eating nonstop for 10 hours. So to, to sort of not let your insulin stay up for those 10 hours, um, that would be one option. The other is to obviously, as I mentioned, to check with your doctor, can you substitute things for, you know, for other things? And can you be on a regimen of medication that could, could be limited to once a day or to, you know, sort of a particular eating window? And then the third thing is, you know, if, uh, and I've done this before, if I've, I guess at some level, it, it is kind of dirty fasting, but if I had to take medicine, I was on antibiotics, for example, that I had to take with three times a day, with food. And for those, I would have, you know, I would take it with a, maybe a tablespoon of full fat Greek yogurt, um, which is going to do minimal damage to your fast. It's, it's not clean fasting. And I didn't consider myself fasting, but I maintained the benefits of fasting as much as possible um, while still being able to take the medicine. So if it's a short term course where you have to take it, you know, for a limited time, three days a week, that um, you know, is one option, you know, as I said, I've done yogurt, I've heard other people say they do leafy greens, um, you know, but there are certain foods that have a much less impact on our uh, insulin, um, much less prone to spike it. So I would say, you know, for uh, multiple times a day medication, maybe think about limiting your fasting, but not eating nonstop and eating those foods. Um, and then the other advice, as I said, is sort of work with your um, healthcare provider to see if, um, if you can possibly, you know, sort of take things uh, all at once, um, you know, but I know that, you know, I mean, we've said, and you and I, you know, have said this in other groups that we moderated, and I know that your group uh, facilitates this too, is that, um, you know, don't forgo your medication because of fasting. Take medication as it's prescribed, as your doctor, you know, sort of suggested you should take it, but have the conversation with your doctor about, you know, if that can be adjusted. Um, but we would never say, forgo your health for the sake of fasting. Yeah, absolutely. Health first, fasting second. And uh, chat to your medical doctor or provider and ask them about it. The other thing too is if it's a particular medicine that you say you have to take in the morning, well, maybe you'll move your window around to accommodate a morning window rather than an afternoon or an evening window. There's lots of ways you can do it. And I think if the, you have to take it while you're fasting, um, as prescribed by your doctor, as you should, then something like just a half teaspoon of avocado with that particular tablet or something like that. And just, you know, just get through it. Particularly if you're sick and you have to take antibiotics like Rachel was just talking about, it's really important that you, you get well again. So don't interfere with that process and don't give up the thought of having those sort of things during your eating window if you have to. But Rachel, we have a lot of talk in the intermittent fasting communities about you can eat whatever you want, right? And I talk about this a lot because I think this is one of the most important messages from experienced fasters to talk about. And that is that over the years, I've become almost a food stop now compared to what I was. I mean, I came off a pretty low base. I mean, I was a sugar and fast food addict. I was eating ultra high processed foods were, were basically junk, right? There's no other word for them. I'm not going to you know, sugarcoat anything here. Excuse the pun. I was eating a lot of junk food. And then I sort of transitioned out of that and I realized I had to do it for my health. Has a higher quality of food for you now a priority with your IF? 
more so than it was when you first started? Um, yes and no. So I, uh, you know, I am without question a junk food junkie. Um, and I think, you know, sort of like you, I spent many years, you know, sort of living at the drive through eating, you know, sort of, you know, there were candy wrappers loaded in the car, et cetera, et cetera. I have not given that up, but I eat, but I do it much less than I used to. I don't do it every day. Um, and I don't do it multiple times a day. And that, you know, was the, that was, that was the normal for a long time. I have to really consciously kind of push myself toward more whole foods. And so I, I've integrated those into my, um, into my lifestyle much more than I ever did, but at the same time have not gone as far as I should go from a health perspective of eliminating the junk, which you're absolutely right. It's junk sort of from my diet. Um, so I, I think, you know, we each have to find that place that we're okay with. Um, and learn to, you know, sort of not judge ourselves, just like we know we don't judge other people for the choices they make. You know, I mean, you, I've heard you say many times that, you know, you had to sort of stop the sugar cold turkey, and it wasn't a question of moderation. I think some people can can do moderation, and for them, it's okay. We don't have to say it's all or nothing. Have very little time in my life to cook, which I really should start making more of a priority and start going back to, you know, sort of slow cooker crock pot meals, which I used to do. Um, and so I do um, buy food out, you know, sort of more often than I probably should. I do try to make sure that it's, you know, a, a, a balanced. So even if I'm getting something, you know, sort of a pasta dish, I'll make sure to get a salad with it. So at least I'm sort of having those greens, but I'm not nearly as committed to, you know, sort of eating the foods that I probably should be eating as I might be. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the first to admit it. So. Uh. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And, um, and I'm not here to demonize anybody for what they eat. Absolutely. Right. And I think we shouldn't judge anybody for what they eat because we've all been judged so much about our weight and what we eat in our lives. So we shouldn't be judging other people in their lifestyle or what they choose. And it all comes back to the, the, the saying I have with people is you do you for you. And I'll do me mm. for me because yeah. I had to do that. I had to switch out of that food because it was killing me. It was no question about it. And I was never going to retake my health because for me, not going cold turkey on sugar was a bit like saying, okay, I'm an alcoholic and I'm just going to have three beers a day instead of right. six. So I'm right. still an alcoholic, right? So I really had to just switch out of it. And, you know, am I 100% sugar-free? No, because I'll never be 100% sugar-free because sugar is in so many things, whether it's natural sugar or whatever it may be. I mean, if you never ate an ounce of sugar again in your life, you would find it difficult to navigate things like social events, all sorts of things. Oh, that's tricky. Of course, of course. Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, we've got to do what suits us. We've got to do our own fasting protocols like you. You tried ADF, you tried OMAD. With your OMAD, I mean, to ask you, is it more of a restaurant style that you do, like the sort of snack and then um, main and sort of dessert, if you feel like it? Or how do you work that, Omen? A lot of people um, get confused. Yeah, I mean, one thing, you know, you mentioned actually uh, when we were talking about medicines, you know, one option of shifting to earlier in the day windows. And that's something that I actually wanted to pick up on that that I have actually found when I was doing OMAD before, um, you know, it was essentially 19.5 or 24 um, and I would usually open my window, say about five or six o'clock and eat through the evening. I've kind of naturally shifted to a morning, early afternoon window. And so usually by the time I leave work, I'm done, um, which, you know, frustrates my husband a little bit in terms of, you know, we don't have meals together very often, but but it's been working for me. 
Um, and so it depends on the day, but I would say generally, yes, it's that restaurant style. You know, I might open with some yogurt um, or a salad. You know, I attend a lot of meetings where there's food. And so depending on what the food is, I may open, you know, with some of that and then try and have one main course, you know, at some point later. And as I said, I, I try to uh, close, I usually close after that main course. I don't have a main meal and then continue snacking. It's usually you know, lighter snacks, and then the main meal. Um, and so that takes me anywhere from two hours to six hours, depending on sort of the day and how it unfolds. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I can't remember the last time I had what I would consider two meals in a day, but I might have soup at one point, salad at one point, yogurt at one point, a burger and fries at one point, you know, sort of all in the day. And when we think about that restaurant analogy, it is, you know, it's just multiple courses of a meal. Yeah, exactly right. So for me, it's the same. Like I'll open with some cheese and crackers or something like that, and creamy coffee, whatever it may be, some avocado, wait for a while, you know, as I talked about before, reflection. Then I'll have my main meal. And sometimes if I feel like a dessert, and a dessert for me is something like some fresh berries that are in season, nice. um, maybe some another couple of bits of cheese and a coffee or something like that. And then I'll close my window. But if I don't feel like that, then I won't have it. I'll just close. If I'm full and satisfied, I'm satiated, I'm done. And I think that's one thing that people really have to get through about intermittent fasting is, is that we all have to find our own pathways, as we mentioned. And one of the things that I really love about all this, what you've talked about, you've gone through all this experimentation. You still feel like you're maybe not where you want to be, but you've done it your way and you've done it the way that you want to do it. And you don't feel like you've been you know, missed out on anything and you're happy with the way you're going. So I think that's really important for people to hear that, that you're in no rush because this is a lifestyle for you. So if it takes you another five years to get you to where you want to be, so be it. Yeah, that that's to me, I think the greatest, I mean, so so I think I had made, you know, you and I had talked about earlier, I, you know, I had shifted to a mindset of giving myself grace. And I think that's really where that comes down that, you know, I'm doing this for so many reasons. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not sure about you, but I know so many of us, you know, came to IF as a weight loss tool and quickly realized by through reading, through being members of different groups or people promoted what was happening to them, that, that this is so much more than weight loss. And so, you know, I'm doing this for life. There's no question for my health. The weight loss will happen slowly, but surely the health continues to improve. And you know, it's, it's, it's not a race. And, you know, I, it's, I, I always feel badly when we see posts. So we don't see them often in, in your group, but I think in other weight loss or fasting groups that we've been in, um, you know, I have a event coming up in six months. What's the best way for me to lose, you know, all the way before then. And I think, you know, if that's how someone's approaching IF, they're bound to be disappointed because as we know, it's not a quick fix but it's a long-term, very sustainable sort of choice about the health we want to embrace. Um, so, so yeah, so giving myself grace to sort of, you know, not lose or lose slowly. And, you know, over the past few months when I realized I was essentially in maintenance mode, cause I was doing what felt right and relatively easy on a day to day and wasn't worried about where the scale was going and things continued to move. And so that's, you know, that, that's, I think the beauty of it. Yeah. I think that giving yourself grace is important. We've talked about it before, loving yourself first and actually, you know, make those self-affirmations. For me, I wake up in the morning. I don't start by, by sort of thinking about negative things. I always try to start by 
thinking about something positive, writing down something positive, you know, self-talk to myself, being positive. Today's going to be a great day. I know something good's going to come from today. And generally something does come good. But in the past, when I was sort of self-loathing and I was obese and I used to be really in a bad space mentally, I wouldn't be like that. And it's amazing how our mind can trick us into having a really great experience when sometimes not all experiences are the same. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, obviously being there in Egypt and, and Cairo, um, one of the most fantastic cities in the world that a lot of people want to visit, including me. And when you mentioned about having lunch at the pyramids, that sounded lovely. So book me in for that, please. But about your support networks in general and how that's been right through your journey. And um, and just touch on about maybe fasting in Egypt and if you know other people that do it, that sort of thing, or has it grown? Sure. Um, so when I started, I was actually living in Qatar when I started, and it was a local friend who had posted, I mentioned, I started with 5.2, who had posted about 5.2. Um, and, you know, I, I tend to, uh, you know, have a lot of fellow expats in my life wherever I'm living. Um, and so um, while the bulk of the support has been through online communities such as yours um, and, uh, you know, other ones that you and I were members of when they were still on Facebook, um, that that online support community has been really the the game changer for me. Um, you know, I have a couple of uh, uh, either Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp chats with friends in different places who are fasting. And so we also create our own support networks through that. Um, but what's been really interesting to me is that over the past year, the number of people I encounter here, both Egyptians and fellow expats, who sort of really kind of uh, almost in passing say, oh, yeah, I, you know, I can't eat now because I'm doing intermittent fasting and my window isn't open yet. So many people who I've met who have sort of doing intermittent fasting, um, and it's really I think become I mean when when we start seeing it as a regular thing here, um, then we know it's really um, becoming pretty mainstream. I mean it's not unusual. All my friends when I go home to the U.S. know that I do it and we plan around it. Um, you know I have I know a lot of people in the U.S who again are not looking to lose weight, but who have embraced fasting for the health benefits or, um, so I think, you know, it's, uh, we're catching up here. I mean, this is a country with really, really high obesity rates and incredibly high diabetes rates. Um, and, uh, you know, where fast food has sort of taken over the culture, junk food, you know, I think there are more versions of potato chips in Egypt than I think anywhere else in the world. Um, I mean, it really is a junk food culture. And so it's been really exciting for me to just encounter so many people I know, colleagues and friends or, you know, people who I just meet, you know, who know about fasting and who uh, who are fasting. And as I mentioned, you know, I uh, I, I had another doctor who, who retired a few years ago and recently started seeing a new doctor and both didn't bat an eye. I mean, neither one of them batted an eye when I mentioned I was fasting and they were fine with it and they worked my meds around it. Um, and it just wasn't a thing. I mean, we we didn't talk about it in great detail, but they both, you know, were aware of it as a health protocol and were absolutely fine with it. Yeah, I think so, it is getting more mainstream. Yeah, when the medical community is getting on board. And I know the doctors that I see now, saying they don't bat an eyelid. And in fact, I went to see one, I walked in and he had my face up on the screen with my book and he was going, oh, Graham, he said, I've just been reading your stuff about your book and your online group and everything else. He said, I'm going to join. He said, I want to start fasting. You know, he was a guy that needed to lose a bit of weight. 
But he then said that his father was an intermittent faster and his father had type 2 diabetes and he was able to reverse it, get off all his medications wow. and that sort of thing. So that's what got him interested in it. And then he heard that I was coming in. So, yeah, we had this great conversation and actually forgot about why I even went there. And then now I'm doing a study with the University of Western Australia into intermittent fasting being used as an obesity control in the medical community. And what we're hoping to achieve by that is to be able to get more of the mainstream sort of medical community on board um, with intermittent fasting and pointing people in the direction of that rather than sending them down that path of weight loss surgery. Because for me, I don't really hear weight loss surgery being discussed as much amongst obese people as what it once was. There's more people now that will try something like intermittent fasting, I think, rather than go down that path of weight loss surgery. I don't know if you feel the same about it, but I, I just don't yeah, hear that I mean discussed as much. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not really actually active in too many weight loss communities that aren't fasting communities. Um, so it's it's hard for me to say, you know, I know I was at the point where I was seriously considering weight loss surgery before um, I very fortunately sort of discovered um, fasting. And so, um, I mean, one thing we haven't talked about, but I think, you know, we're both really aware of is that um, the whole, you know, for people who lose excessive amounts of weight, there's very little issue with sort of that saggy skin and things that, you know, people worry about because it happens in the context of, you know, sort of other health benefits and auto uh, autophagy. And also because for so many people, it happens slowly over time rather than, you know, a sort of quick fix thing. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think if it's, if it's, uh, but if fasting is contributing to people you know, not having to explore more um, uh, invasive ways to sort of, you know, lose weight and get healthy, then that's that's fabulous. But anyway, Rachel, we're nearly at the end of the podcast, but just before we go, for any of you beginners out there or somebody that's contemplating starting intermittent fasting after hearing your amazing journey, what's some final words of wisdom and advice you'd have for them? Um, uh, I would say definitely join a fasting community and the fasting highway is one of the best ones out there. Um, so, you know, surround yourself with support. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, cause there are a lot of really experienced people who are happy to share. Um, don't share it with people who you think are going to stomp on it. I mean, you, uh, you know, there are a lot of naysayers still out there, even though it is gaining popularity, um, so, you know, don't, don't feel that you need to defend your choices to people who may not understand, um, familiarize yourself with the sort of why I think, you know, I mean, Dr. Fung's books, Jen Stevens books, Graham's book, of course, um, you know, there are a lot of, uh, great people who've shared experiences from a medical perspective or a personal perspective, um, on why this works. And so I think, you know, familiarize yourself with that and know that you're not alone and that it's, uh, it's, it's really doable, but it's not magic. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think the key takeaway from that is, is just do you for you and find your way in your own protocol. Absolutely. You know, be patient, take your time. You know, don't think that you're going to get 90 pounds off in 90 days for a wedding or something like that. You know, treat IF like a lifestyle rather than diet and you'll find it will really look after you. But Rachel, I can't tell you how inspiring and how great it's been to catch up with you. Okay, bye. All right, talk soon, Graham. Oh, thank you so much, Rachel. Once again, thoroughly enjoyed that chat with you and thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway today and sharing your amazing story with us. 
Look forward to catching up with you in the future. And if people are looking to get some support with their intermittent fasting lifestyle, as we mentioned there, uh, come and join us in the Fasting Highway Facebook community. Lots of inspiring people like Rachel in there, vastly experienced, who are about to get you started. Whether your protocol will be OMAD, ADF, or whatever it may be, there's always somebody that will have a kind word for you and some support in there. Anyway, folks, also, as mentioned, if you are interested in my own story, uh, you'll find that on Amazon and the Fasting Highway book. Uh, you can get that in paperback or Kindle. If you are in New Zealand, you'll find that on my website at www.thefastinghighway.com. Okay, folks, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.